2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And now which has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern, follow, follow the pattern of sound words that you, may, that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy in the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the, from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at, to me at Ephesus. Amen. The title of our sermon this morning is Final Words. And in fact, that's going to be the title of the new uh, series that we're beginning today in 2 Timothy. It's going to take us about five weeks to get through 2 Timothy. Um, 2 Timothy is Paul's letter to Timothy. Paul is in prison at this point. Now, Paul has been in prison before. He has been incarcerated before, and he has been in prison because he's preached the gospel, and that offends people. That, offend, that offended the Romans. That offended the Jews. In fact, if you read through the book of Acts, you will find it was often the Jews who turned him over to the Romans to be incarcerated. Yeah. It was the religious folks that turned him in. And here Paul is in prison, and he has been delivered from prison many times before. But Paul knows this time he's not going to be delivered from prison. You know, there's a lesson to learn there. That sometimes the prayer that we pray that God would deliver us doesn't get answered the way we want it to be answered. Sometimes the answer to prayer that would lead to a victory in this life does not come. Sometimes we don't get delivered. Sometimes the healing does not happen. Sometimes... Our mother or our grandmother or our loved one passes away. Sometimes there's a COVID outbreak in the church, even though we may have prayed for protection, but God allows these things to happen. Sometimes God allows the tragedy to come. 
Yet in 2 Timothy, you don't see Paul complain about this. You don't see Paul lament this. You don't see Paul trying to make sense of this. To Paul, it already makes sense. Paul had already experienced God's divine deliverance. He had already experienced God's divine victories before. He had seen God move in this world to deliver him from the things of this world and to give him the blessings of this world. He had already seen that. But Paul also keenly understood that God was still blessing and God was still present even though the victories and the deliverances from this world don't happen. Paul's already discussed at length the role of Christian suffering, the role of suffering in the Christian life, and why God sometimes does not deliver us. Why God may deliver that person over there, but he doesn't deliver us. Why that church over there claims that they haven't gotten COVID in their congregation because they have a greater faith, and why our church got COVID. Paul has already discussed what, what changes, what's the differences. And you know what the difference between us and them? There's not one. There's not one. The difference is God's will and how he is using each of us in his will. Paul's already discussed this, and we have discussed this at length out of the scriptures. We're not going there in 2 Timothy. We're not. We've got more important things to talk about right now. The Apostle Paul knows that his time is short. The Apostle Paul knows that this might be the last correspondence he has with Timothy. And so what he is going to tell Timothy in 2 Timothy are the things of vital importance. So that's where we're going. Yeah. What if you only had one more time to talk with somebody and you knew it? What would you say? Yeah. What would I say to my kids? What would I say to my wife? I'm going on a trip this week. I'm going to Leveland for the annual Southwest Association of Missionary Baptist Churches meeting. I get to moderate it this year. That's an honor. What if before I left Thursday morning, God told me, you're not coming home. You're not going to make it home. This hour that you have with your family is the last hour you've got. How would that change? How would that change? I probably wouldn't want to get in the car, to be honest with you. But how would that change what I talk to them about? How would that change how I talk to them? You see what I'm saying? Yes. You, know, you ever seen the movie Forrest Gump where Forrest says, if I'd have known me and this was going to be the last time me and Bubba talked, I'd have thought of something better to say? What if you knew this was the last time you got to speak? That's where Paul is. And so he's going to cut through all of the little controversies and all of the different uh, things that are going on in the Christian world at that time. And he is going to bring Timothy back to what's important and prepare Timothy for what he's about to have to face. In 2 Timothy, Paul opens up the letter here in chapter 1 by reminding Timothy of the faith that they share, the blessings of that faith. While acknowledging that he is in prison and he is about to be executed, Paul's not living in a fantasy world here. He's going to address it, but that's not what's important right now. This letter and the way he opens up this letter is meant to comfort Timothy. It's meant to encourage Timothy. It's meant to propel Timothy forward in the gospel. It's meant to keep Timothy on point, centered on the gospel and centered on his, mis on his mission. The central message of 2 Timothy chapter 1 is don't forget who you are and don't forget what we do. Do not forget who you are in Christ and do not forget what our purpose here on earth is. We're going to look at three things this morning. 
First of all, we're going to talk about guarding the faith. Yes. And if you're going to guard the faith, you need to know what the faith is. Yes. Secondly, you need to guard the blessing. We're going to talk about what that is. Yes. And finally, understand the apostasy. Understand the falling away. You know, we, we read in this passage, and my entire life I've read this passage, to read that Phagellus and Hermogenes have fallen away from Paul, and these two guys have betrayed him. And all my life I have skipped over the part where he said that everybody in Asia has turned their back on me. You know how my heart that has to hurt for the Apostle Paul? The Galatians that Paul has written to in Sunday school in the book of Galatians, they've turned their back on him. That's in Asia. Ephesus. I mean, the seven churches listed in Revelation, they've turned their back on him. Paul did not die a popular fellow. He did not. There was an apostasy. We're going to understand that. So first, let's guard the faith. In verses 3 through 4, the Apostle Paul says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. And I want to point out that the Apostle Paul here, he thanks God. He thanks God for Timothy. He thanks God for the time that they have with Timothy. The Apostle Paul is looking back on his entire life. And he's thinking about Timothy. And he knows that life on this earth is about to end. And let me tell you something, that affects a fella. Life on this earth is about to end. But he's looking back and he's writing to Timothy. And he goes, you know what, out of this entire journey. And the Apostle Paul, I mean, he lived the life. He went to the best schools. He was on the Sanhedrin Council. He was called out of that. God humbled him in Acts chapter 9, saved him, made him an apostle to the Gentiles. He preached. He performed miracles. He led one of the greatest missionary efforts in church history. And he's looking back on all this. You know what he's thankful for? He's thankful for the time he got with Timothy. Out of everything, Timothy, he's not saying, Timothy, I'm so thankful. I had this amazing ministry. I preached before multitudes. I preached before kings. He's saying, Timothy, I'm thankful for the time we had. I'm thankful that God brought you into my life. I'm thankful that we had that fellowship. And he's thankful for the faith that Timothy showed. Paul notes that both Paul and his ancestors, they served God with a clear conscience. Meaning that they believed God, they trusted God, and their faith motivated their works. Their faith motivated their worship. Their faith motivated their religion. Therefore, they had a clear conscience. And he's pointing this out. He's like, Timothy, this is who you are. You served God with a clear conscience. You trusted him. You had that strong faith. Paul longs to see Timothy. He longs to see Timothy because he wants to see Timothy. He wants to see Timothy with that sincere faith, with that clear conscience. And he wants to be able to have that joy of seeing Timothy in that good spot. Paul longs to see Timothy so that he, Paul, can be filled with joy. Guys, that's the power of Christian fellowship. That is the power of fellowship, that you can be about to be executed, but you have that time together with your Christian brothers or sisters, and that brings together a certain peace. August was the longest month of my life, because in the month of August, I didn't get to see any of you, some of you, momentarily, from a distance. But we were separated. You remember, remember how empty that felt? Remember how dark that felt? We get together here. Times are good. Yes. That's also the power of seeing God's transformational work in the life of another. You hang around anybody too long and they're a follower of Jesus Christ. They know Jesus as their personal Savior. They're saved. You're going to see that life change over time. 
And there is a joy in seeing that transformational process. Now, when Paul met Timothy, Paul wasn't exactly a drunk in the nightclub. Paul said that Timothy had that faith that was first in his grandmother, then in his mother. Timothy was raised a godly kid. But Paul still saw a transformation go through. And it is just amazing to see. It's just as amazing as seeing your child grow up and get his first job and buy his first car. You know, seeing, seeing your, your child grow up and go on their first foreign mission trip. It's an amazing thing to see. There's joy there. And that's what the Apostle Paul sees in Timothy. He wants to see him one more time. Because he wants to be reminded of Timothy's faith and how God has transformed him. And in verse 5, he goes to that. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Your sincere faith. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Your sincere faith? Huh. That sounds like a verse we've been reading over for the past six weeks, doesn't it? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience. I almost lost it there. A good conscience and a sincere faith. Earlier, Paul talked about his ancestors. He and his ancestors served God with a clear conscience. And now we have sincere faith. Y'all do realize that there's been probably a decade or two between the writing of 1 Timothy and the writing of 2 Timothy, right? In fact, a lot of people believe this is the last thing Paul wrote. Some think that Philippians was written close to the same time. That theme of love, the aim of our charge, love that flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Here we go. The faith what is that faith? What does it mean? Jude wrote that we are to uh, contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. What is that faith? The works of faith. What is that faith? It's not a religious system. It's not. It's not the doctrinal statement of the American Baptist Association. The faith is that deep-rooted trust in the conviction of the truth of the gospel and the trust of the gospel to bring you into heaven. That faith believes in the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins according to the scriptures. That's what that faith believes in. It doesn't just believe it's true, but trust it. I know that everything's going to be okay, whether everything's okay or not. I know everything's going to be okay because I know Jesus died for my sins. I know that God, Romans chapter 8, did not withhold his only begotten son. How will he not freely with him give me all things? Even if all things that I'm looking for is not the all things he delivers. May not be the better job, may not be the finances. The all things that, that are delivered might be just the day I get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And if everything on this life falls apart, my finances fall apart, you guys fire me, I'm discredited, everybody, I become this big public failure and everybody looks at me and laughs at me, <laughs> I'm okay. Because I know that I've got that day to look forward to. That's how, that's how important the gospel is. And we forget that. We forget that and we get to worrying about other things. But that's what the faith is, that trust in the gospel, the trust that our sins have been forgiven, the trust that we have been redeemed because of the gospel, the trust that heaven is there, that we will be received into his kingdom. Our hope 
where heaven is tied up in the gospel if we believe it. Amen. Hope is confident expectation. How do we have that confident expectation? Because of the gospel. The faith is our trust in the gospel for salvation, for transformation. Um, some would call that um, sanctification. For eternal life, for peace in God's kingdom. Paul says he is reminded of Timothy's faith and that he is sure that the faith dwells in Timothy. And that stuck out at me when I'm reading this. He, he, goes, he goes, and I'm sure that it dwells within you too. I am confident that it dwells within you too. Do you think Timothy ever had doubt? you think Timothy ever wondered, you know, we sure are going through a lot of pain and heartache here, a lot of sacrifice. Is this worth it? Do you think Timothy ever thought, am I really, I mean, Timothy hung out with Paul. How intimidating did that have to be? Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here complaining about McDonald's taking three minutes to get me my order. And, and what would the Apostle Paul say in that situation? If he's riding shotgun with me, he would, he would say something and it would, it would not be affirming my discontentment with the speed of McDonald's service, okay? I mean, do you, think the, do you think Timothy ever wondered? Have you ever wondered? Do I really have the faith? Am I really saved? Will God really welcome me into his kingdom? George Strait in that song, Love Without End, Amen, he said, if they know half the things I've done, they'll never let me in, all right? Have you ever wondered? Have you ever doubted? And there are a lot of religious teachers that teach that, that they, they cultivate that fear. They cultivate that doubt. Are you sure you're saved? Are you doubly sure you're saved? You better be doubly, doubly sure that you're saved. Well, I, think, I think I say I'm pretty sure. No, no, you got to be sure. Okay, I'm sure. Okay. Have you sinned this past week? Well, maybe. You might not be saved. And they cultivate that doubt. Why? Because when they cultivate the doubt, they know that you want confirmation. How are you going to get that confirmation? You're, they're going to manipulate you into trying to live up into your standard. And boom, before you know it, you're in a works for salvation religion. And you're being manipulated and you're being exploited. The Apostle Paul does something totally opposite here. He tells Timothy, he doesn't know how Timothy's been feeling. They're communicating by letter. They didn't have Skype and Facebook Live back then. Who knows how long it had been since they'd seen each other. Yeah. And the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, he goes, I am sure... It dwells within you too. How powerful must that have been for Timothy? I'm way off topic here, but I'm following this. How powerful must that have been for Timothy? So when I was in seminary, I was the youth director at Vanderbilt Baptist Church in Tyler. And we had gone through what I thought were hard times. <laughs> I wish I had those hard times now. Um, we thought we'd gone through hard times. There's been some things that happened. And I had fallen off of my daily devotional routine, my daily prayer routine. I had fallen off of the intense preparation I did for the Wednesday night youth lessons. I was off my game. And Brother Marvin Gardner was the pastor there. and He asked me how I was doing. I said, Brother Gardner, I mean, I really feel like I've fallen off the horse here. And he didn't start to quiz me about my prayer life. He didn't start to quiz me about my devotional life. He didn't ask me if I'd sinned that week. He didn't ask me if I was sure of my salvation. You know what he told me? He says, don't worry, brother. You'll get back on the horse. You're okay. And it's just like burden lifted off my shoulders. Because at that point I realized I'm not having to perform for Brother Gardner. Brother Gardner loves me. And that love that we had between the two of us was an unconditional deal. I know you don't typically hear about dudes talking about this love between other dudes, and, 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 but, but, but we've we got to get over that. We've got to get over that. 
We have got to be able to tell each other that we love each other Amen. and not feel funny about that, all right? Ron, I love you. I love you too. You know? Josh, I love you. Of course, he's my son, so he's like, that's not so unusual. But we've got to get back to where we can, where we can say that and not feel funny about it. Yes. And when I realized I wasn't performing for Brother Gardner, it took a few more years for this lesson to sink in, but I learned I wasn't performing for God either. But I wanted to. I wanted to do a good job for God. But my relationship with God was not determined upon my performance. He says, I'm sure the faith dwells in you. And then he tells Timothy to guard that. Verses 6 and 7, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. To fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. What is this flame? What is this gift that he is to fan into flame? It begins with his faith. That faith, that trust that he has in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the gospel. That is where we start. You fan that into the flame. And the flame is where you believe this so strongly that it cannot be taken away from you. Amen. And then when you get to that point, you cannot help but talk about it either. You cannot help but share it with other people. We talk about the need to witness. You ought to be witnessing. Pass out some tracts. Tell somebody about the gospel. Invite somebody to church. Let me tell you something. If this is a, if the only reason you're witnessing is because we put together a church program, we got a problem. If the only reason we're witnessing is because I told you from the pulpit that you need to witness, we got a problem. Yes. We should be witnessing, not, okay, it's 5 o'clock, it's witnessing time. Let's go knock on some doors. I mean, there's a time for that. I'm not preaching against that. But my goodness, if you can't talk about your Lord in a conversation, if you cannot extend grace to someone else, if you cannot reciprocate the love that God has given to you and focus that toward other people, who are we? Who are we? Fan that into flame. The call to spread the faith, the call to spread the gospel, cultivate this and be bold. Leland, if I, if I tell this person about the gospel, they may reject me. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. The Apostle Paul faced imprisonment. Timothy could possibly be imprisoned. Timothy could possibly be killed for telling others about the gospel. The Apostle Paul says, don't be afraid of that. He says, for God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The King James says, of power and of a sound mind. Be bold because God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us power. The Holy Spirit then dwelt in us that sealed itself to our spirit has given us power the bible says greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world Amen. of love he's given us a spirit of love to love the other person there is some really good teaching out there on the concept of agape love i hope some of it has come from this church and and from my preaching but if not other people have done a really good job of this love that love that looks not every man on his own things, but also every man on the things of others. That love, he's given us that spirit of love, of power, of love. You should love people. You see the people out in public, the, the, the people at Walmart, the uh, you know, people that are often looked down upon. Love them. Yeah. Have pity. How did Jesus interact with the, with the marginalized and the outcast? He had pity. 
This doesn't mean he endorsed her sin. It didn't mean he was in, 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 in that he was okay with it. That he, what it means is he understood how they got there, and he was he had pity on that. He had love for them. Do not fear the negative consequences, because that's not what God has given us a spirit of: power, love, self-control. At the end of the day. We have nothing to lose. We have nothing to lose. I get to talk to people about death all day. My secular profession is life insurance. Okay? I get to talk to people about death. And while we're having the prepare you financially for that day, I get to work in there preparing spiritually for that day. Guard the faith. And guard the blessing. You're reading about Paul's imprisonment here. You're saying, where's the blessing in all this? Verses 8 through 9, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. To be ashamed. Now we talked about this when we studied the book of Romans and we've gone back to this concept a few times. That concept of being ashamed, the biblical word of ashamed means to be disappointed, to be let down, to, be, to feel like you have been left holding the bag. Like your expectation was not met. You and I made a deal, you kept up your end of the bargain, I didn't keep up mine. And now you feel silly and you feel like how could I have possibly trusted this man? That's ashamed. That's ashamed. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. There was nothing about the gospel. There was nothing about his salvation. There was nothing about his lifestyle, the sacrifices of the Christian life, or the calling that left Paul ashamed and disappointed. Paul went to Harvard. Okay, well, not the Harvard. But he went to Harvard of his day. He went to the University of Tarsus, one of the best schools. Tarsus was a university city, highly educated. He got to study in the school of Gamaliel. You think getting into Harvard's hard. Gamaliel only took like 10 or 15 students. Only the best of the best get in there. The ones who are the most worthy get in there. He was highly educated. A man that's that highly educated, shouldn't he have a good financial life? Shouldn't he get a big job? Shouldn't he get the big church? Shouldn't he get the big prestige? Where's Paul right now? He's on death row. When Paul wrote the book of Romans, he's dealing with a struggling church that is tearing itself apart from the inside out hearing about a group of believers in Rome and wishing he could be there instead he says in Romans chapter 1 I oftentimes would have come to you but I have been hindered or the King James says let hitherto I have so far been hindered from coming to see you but yet he's not ashamed of the gospel Paul hasn't lost anything here in fact he told the Philippians that the things that I counted gain are now lost for Christ there's nothing that's left Paul disappointed here. And in 2 Timothy, Paul's not even upset that he's on death row. You know, I think I'd be sad that this is where it ends. This is how it's going to happen. Paul's like, no, this is, this is what it is. And he tells Timothy not to be ashamed of the testimony of Christ. Amen. And this is what it means to guard the blessing. The blessing is not the material blessing. The blessing is to not let anybody steal the joy of your salvation. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, Leland, you believe in Jesus, and this man doesn't believe in Jesus. 
You got sick, he didn't. You went broke, he didn't. This church over here is preaching the prosperity gospel. They're growing and they're prospering. Leland, your church isn't. I'm supposed to make me feel bad? But that's what people do. They'll try to steal your joy. They'll try to make you think that you're getting the worst end of the deal. And you're not. Paul says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of Christ. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. The story of the gospel. How Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of that doctrine. Don't feel like to prove yourself as being of a higher spiritual caliber, you have to be able to delve into some of the deeper issues of theology and come up with something that nobody's ever thought of before. That was never something that God set out as an expectation in Scripture. That was never something that Paul felt that God expected of him. When Paul dug into the Scriptures, he was looking for the gospel. Don't ever be ashamed of the gospel. Don't ever be ashamed of the preaching of the gospel. Don't be ashamed to preach the gospel. Don't ever be ashamed of the brothers and sisters in Christ that you fellowship with. Don't ever be ashamed of your need for the gospel. I'm not a pastor because I'm a good dude. I was somehow smarter. In fact, I even had an air conditioning repairman tell me that he could tell I wasn't very intelligent. Well, that'll take you off your pedestal really quickly. But he also told me he could tell I really believed. That should put you back up on your pedestal. Don't be ashamed of your need for the gospel, of how you were transformed by the gospel, of your experience in the gospel. And Paul told Timothy not to be ashamed of the life he's living now in the gospel. So a high school reunion comes along every, every five years now. I'm at that age. So that's where we get together and we figure out how we all turned out. And who, got, who, who was better off? I've noticed that the kids who became senators don't ever show up to these things. When you show up to your high school reunion, don't be ashamed of who you are. Paul tells Timothy not to be ashamed of him. Don't be downtrodden and disappointed by the fact that Paul's on death row. There's a powerful lesson here. Don't be ashamed and disappointed by the trials and tribulations that come with the Christian life and our identity, and our identity in the gospel. Mm-hmm. But share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Scripture teaches us that if we suffer with Christ, we will be glorified with him. Amen. Basically, are you as committed to Christ as he is to you? He is worthy. He saved us. And he called us to a holy calling of spreading his gospel. What an amazing grace and favor he has bestowed upon us. Never lose sight of that. Never lose sight of that. I get to wake up each day knowing, and some days I'm cranky. But even on my cranky days, I know it's, I know where I'm going. I know it's all going to be okay. Yes. And I get to stand before y'all every Sunday morning and preach the gospel. That's amazing. That's just wow. Never lose sight of that blessing. That's what it means to guard the blessing. Amen. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in verses 11 through 12, For which I was appointed a, a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard that until that day what has been entrusted to me. Or as the King James would say, to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Mm-hmm. Because of the gospel, Christ is called Paul to be a preacher, to be an apostle, to be a teacher, and he suffered as a result. 
But he knew Christ, and he was convinced that Christ would bring it all about according to his will. He's not worried. He's not disappointed. And he encourages Timothy to follow the pattern of the sound words you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Follow the pattern of sound words. Follow the gospel. Follow the teachings of Christ. Follow the doctrines that Paul sets forth in the New Testament and the writers of the New Testament put forth. And follow the scriptures. Be centered on the gospel and teach it and teach from it. Guard the blessings. Don't ever, don't ever let anybody take that blessing away from you. And finally, we need to understand the apostasy. Verse 15. You are aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom are two names that I cannot pronounce. Y'all aren't letting me get away with that, are you? Phagelius and Hermogenes. Asia was a hub of Paul's early missionary work. In fact, he got to one point in Asia where he was going to go north, and the Spirit said, no, don't go that way. It's going to go east. The Spirit said, don't go that way. I'm kind of running out of decisions and directions here, Paul, uh, God. And the, the Lord gave him a vision of a man of Troas calling him into Macedonia. You see how pivotal Asia was in the ministry of Paul, and yet he writes in these scriptures that all those who are in Asia have turned away from me. Wow. The Apostle Paul is going to die alone here. Why? What did Paul do to them? What did he do? I don't know. Except you read other passages where Paul talks about people who have turned away from him. Well, they turned toward. They've turned toward the temptations of the world. And many of them have turned back into the Judaistic religion. Mm -hmm. Human nature is to want to be pleased. Human na nature is to want to be pleasured. And human nature is to want to have yourself validated and to somehow feel that you are above everything else. Human nature is pride. And the gospel is the opposite of this. And because of that, many will fall away. People don't want to hear how Jesus came down, chose them, saved them, redeemed them, cleansed them, and is transforming them. They may accept Jesus died for their sins, but they want the transformation to be their work. Look what I built. They want their spirituality to be based on what they understand that nobody else understands. They want to be able to say that they live a higher moral lifestyle than anyone else around them. We actually got into a conversation in seminary. If we're not going to buy stuff from stores that sell alcohol, sugar's bad for you. Should we abstain from st stores that sell candy bars? I'm like, this is a stupid conversation. I abstain from this conversation. Well, how do you feel about the alcohol Leland, the issue, Leland? We're, no, 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 we're getting off topic. People want, to, but people want to go on that sort of thing because they want to feel like they've done something. Brother Jim mentioned during Sunday school this morning how they built this whole code of laws around the law of Moses to redefine the law of Moses into a strict legal set of lifestyle requirements that was custom-tailored so they could do it. They redefined adultery in that law. Or they could commit adultery but still convince themselves that they had committed adultery. But, but we're better because we're Pharisees. 
had a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses knock on my door one day. And they read to me out of the New World Translation. Um, spoiler alert, that's not really a translation. Somebody rewrote the Bible. That's what they did. And it had to do with God judging the evildoers. Okay, ladies, let's chat. I think they put me on a do not mock list. I haven't seen them in a while. <laughs> but I asked them, I said, what's an evildoer? And they say, well, you know, it's somebody who, and they start trying to come up with their ideal version of an evildoer. <laughs> I said, let's, let's simplify it, ladies. Would an evildoer be one who does evil? Well, yeah, that's a good way to look at it. All right. What's evil? Well, it's sinning against God. Perfect. Sinning against God, would that be breaking God's law? Well, yes. Yes, you get it. I'm like, I do. So let me ask you, ladies, have y'all ever told a lie? I go, I go living waters on them at that point. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever told anything that doesn't belong to you? Well, yeah, but, okay, so what separates your evil doings from the evil doings of the evildoers? We worship. They had convinced themselves that because they went to a certain house of worship, loosely speaking, and because they engaged in the religious practices, that somehow they were better and their evil doings didn't count. And I told them, I said, we're all evildoers. Here's God's standard. None of us have gotten close to it. What separates those who enter God's kingdom from those who do not are those who have accepted the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ that he accomplished on the cross. And they said, look at the time. They haven't come back yet. I was enjoying myself. I wasn't defeating a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses in a debate. I was talking about my Jesus. Amen. They can come back any time. Mm -hmm. They probably don't want to. I understand. But people don't want to believe that. They want to believe that they've done something. That somehow they've earned it. But somehow they have rose above. And brothers and sisters, none of us have. We've all merely been delivered. We've all merely been cleansed. We have all merely been transformed. But people don't like that. So they fall away. You know what we do when they fall away? We love them anyway. Do you know why I'm so big on that? Because I remember what I was like. And I remember how I was misled and I remember how I was misdirected and there were people that loved me in spite of it and they made the difference and that's how you become someone who can lead somebody into the presence of the Lord Paul here in 2 Timothy chapter 1 is giving his last words to Timothy he is using this opportunity of being able to write this last letter to Timothy to encourage Timothy and to prepare him for the challenges that lay ahead. And we're going to go into some of those challenges. Timothy's going to minister to a lost and dying world, an ungodly world. He's going to face some opposition from sources from which no opposition should ever come. He's going to face some pretty hard things. Paul's going to prepare him about for all that. But in opening up, Paul tells Timothy, do not forget what it's all about. The faith. Y'all remember what the faith is. Trusting in the gospel. Do not forget that you are blessed. Amen. Even when the world around you burns. Even when your world burns, you're blessed. Amen. 
And don't be discouraged when people turn their backs on you. And do not be discouraged when it just doesn't seem like things are going right. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us. Father, we thank you for your word and the encouragement that you've given us through your word. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the redemption so freely made available through Christ Jesus. Father, we pray that you would give us the mind and the heart to keep that top of mind and to be focused on that. And Father, we pray that you'd open others' hearts to it. And Father, we ask you to forgive us for our sins. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We will stand and have.